Oh, hello, good evening, Fano. We're going to head into a time of praise and worship. So if you'd like to join us, you can stand. Um, you can come and occupy this space here um, because this is an awesome space. Um, and we're just going to get into it. I encourage you guys to go crazy. Go to that place that you go to when you worship God. All right, let's go.
Good evening, how are you doing? Very nice to see you all this evening. Why don't you say hello to a few people before you take a seat. Tell them they're looking good, they are sounding good. They've made an awesome decision coming out tonight. It's great to see you if you're visiting with us tonight. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming out. If you're a guest tonight, at the back of the auditorium, there's a table there. There'll be someone there with some white bags. Please take one. It's information on uh, who we are, where we're going, and we would love to help you in your journey. So that would be great. Who's had a birthday or a wedding anniversary or something like that in the last week? Anyone? Wave. No one. No one. Unbelievable. Well, that was easy. You can have a pretend one if you'd like to. Yeah, just help yourself. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you that we can gather tonight. I thank you that uh, when we come together, you're here. So Holy Spirit, you're most welcome in this place. And uh, we want to come into line with what you're doing. We want to partner with what you're doing and not with our agenda this evening. So you are most welcome. Lord, I declare your blessing on the city on our leaders in this city, on our mayor. Lord, give them wisdom, I pray, in Jesus' name. Also pray for the, the nation, our prime minister, the politicians. Father, we lift them up to you. They've got tough decisions to make, and they really need the wisdom of God. So we ask that you would pour out your wisdom on them, in Jesus' name. Likewise, with the leaders of the, the planet. Father, there's some big things going on that you know all about. They don't phase you. But I ask that somehow... Wisdom from heaven would be downloaded into leaders all over the globe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a couple of things I need to let you know about tonight. The first is on Friday night, we have a Friday night, yes, 7pm here, Tear Fund have the Ethical Fashion Guide launch. And that's like a fashion show show thing here. And the whole deal of their Ethical Fashion Guide is that um, they've worked and they've looked and researched and worked with a lot of businesses working out where the clothing that you're wearing comes from. And some companies have no problem seeing people exploited around the planet so they can provide you with cheap clothes. Other companies do have a problem with exploiting people in order to provide you with clothing and they do the right thing. And so Tear Fund has worked with the companies who would work with them and they've graded companies. And so their ethical um, fashion guide, actually they trace right back to the source of where clothing comes from and they can tell you all the way what happens so that when you go and buy that next pair of jeans or shoes or t-shirt or whatever you're buying, you can choose to buy it from an ethical company. Someone who you know is not exploiting the poor. Someone who you know is not um, thriving on the slavery of people in a nation somewhere. And I think it's a great thing. So I invite you Friday night to come out, 7 p.m., and uh, to learn, you'll learn something about it. It'll be a whole lot of fun as well. So that's down here, 7 p.m. Friday. There's also a men's breakfast on Saturday at 7 a.m. We've got a video from Pastor Kalyan in India. Hi there, Activate Church. Thank you so much for your partnership with uh, 
have apostolic ministries in India, but even before that, since 1994, when I was in the Bible College in Singapore, your church in Hamilton and the Christ Church, it is these two churches that supported me, even for my Bible College training. So it has been 23 long years now and uninterrupted partnership. And today, it is almost 18 years since I came to India. We have little over 100 churches, about 120 staff, and the ministry is continuing to grow. I believe we are just stepping into another phase where they're changing the gear. Acceleration is taking place. By 2030, we believe we will be able to plant a thousand churches and through networking, another 4,000 churches. I talked all about this to Pastor Sheridan. I think he will give you the details. But thank you for believing in me and partnering with me. Two more years to go, we will celebrate our Silver Jubilee. It's great to be involved with what's happening there in India. And, uh, you know, that happens through our global mandate, getting involved. So there's... Uh, Pastor Kumar, they're in, um, down in Chennai, they're also in Andhra Pradesh and in Bihar. There's schools, there's churches, there's leaders, there's orphanages, there's all sorts of things going on. And we've been involved with that before the beginning as a church, so that's pretty special. And um, by being involved with Global Mandate, we're seeing incredible things take, uh, take place around the world. Not always spectacular things, but amazing things that bring change and touch people's lives and give people hope, give people a future. Sometimes it is spectacular, which is really cool, but not always, sometimes it is just, it's just deeply meaningful. And um, by being involved with Global Mandate, by sowing financially into Global Mandate, by praying for Global Mandate, or even going, we had the, the young guys all went to Thailand a little while ago. Um, you know, we're making a difference eternally. It's not just it's not just a small investment. It's an investment that's going to go into eternity. So I invite you to start to pray and think about how you want to sow in this next 12 months. Faith promise. Allow God to do stretch you a little. And uh, ask the question, how are you going to sow in? And let him stir your heart around global mission. Well, I think we're going to have a song. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. Sound good? Come on, thanks. Hello, family. Um, so this next song, it's like, it can be kind of an item, but I feel like a lot of us might know it as well. So if you want to stand and worship, feel free. If you want to sit and listen and listen to God, feel free. But I just want to talk about this song for a second. So point one, because I like bullet points, is... This song reminds me of the fact that God loves you no matter what state you are in, no matter what you have done. And it's kind of ridiculously awesome and it's like stupidly crazy as well. And I really appreciate that. But two, it inspires me to love Him as much as He loves me, which is a little bit harder to accept that concept because you literally can't, but we need to do it as much as possible as well, you know? So if you want to stand and sing, Come sing with us. If you don't want to, then that's okay too. Sing.
Isaiah 52 and 53. The Lord's suffering servant. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But it was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beating so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one, conde- no one cared that he had died without descendants, that, he was alive, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. Um, man, <laughs> what, what can you say? Um, boggles my mind a little bit, <laughs> that thought, um, that he would take upon every ounce of our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, and he's completely removed that. Um, I love the fact that even when we feel as though we stray away and we do our own thing, um, I love the story of um, who's the bloke who runs away from home, spends all his dad's money. The book got yeah, they're a prodigal son. There we go. Um, yeah, I love love that story. He is at the lowest of the low. He's eating food with the pigs and. Um, decides, oh, I should probably go home and see if Dad will take me back, even though I've done all this horrible stuff and spent all his money, and how does he welcome him? And he welcomes him with open arms and um, loves him, loves him so, so much. It's like the biggest feast that could ever be made. He got the biggest cow, he, what? Yeah. Yeah, 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 huge party. Um, absolutely insane that he'd do that for us um it was pretty cool actually a year ago at um young camp um conveniently these guys had just come back um i had a word put over me um some really cool stuff and um the song it is well um as well um and if the team don't mind i'll sing that and i wanted to make that declaration for myself and give you guys the opportunity to declare declare the words in it as well um it is well over your circumstance. It is well because of what he's done for us. It is well over every little thing that we feel as though we don't measure up. It is well because he's completely wiped their way. Um, 
yeah, so shot team, that was awesome. Um, and yeah, so you guys can just bob down if you want, <laughs> or you can just chill, or however you want. Um, the words will be up on the screen. Feel free to sing along and declare it, or just dwell on the words that are spoken. And yeah. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul My sin know the bliss Of this glorious thought My sin not in part But the whole Was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Thank you, Lord, so much for what you did for us. Thank you that you took upon all shame. Anything that we feel like we separate ourselves from you, you have always been so near. You love us so, so much. You welcome us with open arms, and there's always a feast on when you're, when you're there waiting for us. Um, yeah. Thank you that you'd care about us so much and do that for us, Lord. Um, yeah, um, feel free to take the emblems in your own time. God, you can stand up. Um, but thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die for us. And thank you that um, we can celebrate how amazing you are. And I just pray that you get all the glory tonight, Father. I pray that you're, you're felt amongst us, Lord. I thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you're going to be doing incredible things.
Jesus at the center of it all Jesus at the center of it all From beginning to the end It'll always be, it's always been you, Jesus 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 at the center of it all Jesus at the center of it all From beginning to the end It'll always be
Jesus be the center of our church. Jesus be the center of our church. Jesus be the center of our church. And every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess you,
atmosphere for a moment. The Bible tells us to be still and know that He is God. For a moment, why don't you open your heart before Him? And in silence, appreciate His wonder and His majesty, His love, His grace, His kindness, His mercy. That's great. If you're here, if you're the youth on Friday night or young adults over the weekend, hear them. Fantastic. And, um, you know, it's a real honour to, to journey through life with friends. 
And um, that's one of the thing I, uh, things I really, really enjoy and appreciate about Shane is he's, he's not just popping in and out. We might see each other like once a year, but we kind of pick up where we left off each year. And um, that's just what friendships are like, aren't they? And, uh, you know, Shane could be anywhere in the world tonight. He really could be. Uh, but he's chosen to have the weekend with us. And I thank you for that, Shane. Thank you very much. I appreciate it deeply that uh, he would take a weekend out to spend time with us. And um, so I would like you, please, to really honour him as he comes tonight. Give him a great big hand. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. If you have the type of like to follow along in a Bible, we're going to start in the book of Ruth. And um, I want to talk to you about something very critical. If you'll give me a few minutes tonight, I want to speak into something that has both systemic application, which means to the whole church at large, and it'll have an individual application. And if you'll stick with me, I promise you, it'll change um, your life. Um, on your way out tonight, if you'd be so kind as to stop by our table and pick up a few things, um, the profit from that goes to help us make a difference in this world by taking care of the poor and the afflicted. And so you could come out there and pick up a few things. Here's all I ask, okay? Um, I noticed that this church has a real chatting culture. And I'm all for that. And I want you to do that. Here's all I'm asking. If you have no intention on getting anything, God bless you. It's already booked in for next year. I'll see you then. If you fully intend to get something before you leave, here's all I ask, is if you could buy first and chat second, right? And the reason is, is because I've got to pack all that stuff up into two different lots. One's got to go to Christ Church, the other has to go to Auckland, and I've got to catch a plane tomorrow morning. So if, if, you, could, if you could, the order we're going to do things tonight afterwards is we're going to buy and then chat, right? It's really, really, really cool that we do it that way, buy and, and, and then chat. Right? And if you could do that for me, that helps myself, it helps Sarah and Reese, helps Maria, all the people who, I don't mind staying here all night, I make a living doing this, but these people are helping and they're volunteering, so if you can, if you can help us do that, that would just be an awesome, awesome thing. Alright, so I want to look at this book, this is an ancient story uh, about a lady and a family uh, that's quite tragic, actually. It's a story of ascent. It ends very, very stressful, and it, and it, uh, it starts very, very stressful and ends uh, in, in a very good way with a whole lot of good stuff in the middle and a whole lot of deceitful sort of manipulative stuff in there as well. And God uses, it, it, this story is the living embodiment of God using every part of your story, the good and the bad, to make a good outcome. Um, pa uh, Paul said later that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And so this is a story uh, about that kind of thing. And I, I want to um, take a look at it. If I was going to title this something, I would call it Getting Unstuck. How to unstick your life. Um, if, if there's parts of the church that are a bit stuck systemically, there'll be some application in that as well. And there's going to be one gigantic application for all of us if you just stick with me. This is the story of Ruth. This is what it says. In the days, this is just Ruth 1.1, in the days when the judges ruled. So the book of Ruth is happening at some time during the time of the judges. It's essentially second judges or it's sometime during the book of judges. You just don't know when. Um, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Uh, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his sons were Mayan and Kilian. 
They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Now, let's just stop right there and feel that for 15 seconds, okay? Because we always look for doctrine. I want you to feel the emotion of that. Family of four doesn't have enough food to eat. They have to take refuge in another country. That is not just stress. That is distress. That is a terrible, terrible place to be. This is a horrible, stressful beginning to the story. Here's the problem. The more you read, the worse it gets. Watch this. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, which is worse. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. That was an absolute no-no, by the way. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there about 10 years. So sometimes the Bible just skips forward in action. Sometimes it just fast-forwards 10 years. If you want proof that the Bible is put together by men and not women, there you go, right? <laughs> women would have more questions. What the heck happened? No, nope. men are like, no, fast-forward. Get, 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 get to it, right? After they'd lived there about 10 years, both Mayan and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The, the further you read, the worse it gets. This thing is daunting. Family of four doesn't have enough food to eat. All the men in the situation dies. This leaves single women to fend for themselves in a world where single women not attached to men had no rights. This would be the worst possible scenario if you were there. Look, if you start adding up all the things that are going wrong in this story, it gets very daunting very quick. Here's just a few of them. First, they're in the wrong time period. They're in the time of the judges during a famine. Last time on earth you'd want to live. Listen, <clears throat> if you ever catch yourself going, man, can you believe how bad this world's getting? Uh, check yourself, all right? Read a history book, right? This world is the best place it's ever been, ever, 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 ever. Everything is getting better. There's no other time on earth you'd rather live than right now. Life expectancy better. Life expectancy of Jesus' day was 32. Yes, 32, which means a lot. I mean, till death do us part, meant something totally different back then, okay? All right, like, like now we're living to 84. It's better. Is God done redeeming long life? No, but it's better. It's better to be a woman today than it would have been in just 1950 or 1850 or 1550 or back then. It was better, it's better to be black today than in 1950 or 1850 or 1550. Is God done redeeming race relations? No. Is it better? Yes. Is God done redeeming women's rights? No. Is it better? Yes. The last time on earth you would ever want to be alive is in a time period where there was no judicial system. Just everybody did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Judges is literally the Game of Thrones crossed with the Walking Dead minus the zombies. This is not, yeah, see, I know we're all, all right. Not, this whole song is like, ha, ha. The rest of you are like, what's he talking about? Yeah, all right. It's the crown of, it's, it's Game of Thrones mixed with the Walking Dead minus the zombies. The biggest, strongest people dominate the weaker people. So she's living in the wrong time period. She's in the wrong country. Moab was a hated, cursed place. There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, she's the wrong gender. She's a female. Last time on earth you want to be a woman is then. Listen, social historians had a word for women not attached to men back then. They called them liminal. They literally were not people. They didn't know what to do with them at all. They had no rights at all. The book of Ruth at its most elemental level is how can we get Ruth a man? Because if Ruth doesn't have a man, that's a bad, bad thing. Single women in those days not attached to men oftentimes found themselves begging or prostituting just to, um, just to be able to feed themselves. She is the wrong gender. And unless you think that's far-fetched, 
It wasn't until 1919 that the United States of America thought women were smart enough to vote, right? That was less than 100 years ago. The United States of America said, you know what? We think women are smart enough to vote, right? Now, they voted twice and we had the Great Depression. So I don't know how that worked. But nonetheless, uh, <clears throat> that's the way it was, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. Right? The Great Depression was caused by white men in suits allowing people to buy stock on credit. All right, there we go. No. So she's the wrong gender. She's the wrong race. She's a Moabite. They were the most hated group of people to the Jews in the world at this point. We'll talk about that in a second. She's married to the wrong husband. And it wouldn't have been her choice. You didn't get to choose who you married back then. This is how marriage worked back then. You had your first period. Whenever that happens. 12, 13, whatever. Three weeks later, they had already chosen a guy from another tribe who you've never met and you were going to marry him because that tribe had resources and food and weapons and protection. They used their little girls as bartering chips to buy protections from other clans by making blood covenants with them by joining them together in marriage. That's how it worked. So when you say, I stand on traditional biblical marriage, really? That one? Just be careful. All right, so... There's all kinds of things going on here that is bad. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong race, wrong gender, wrong husband. You know what that's called? If you wake up at the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong gender with the wrong husband married to the wrong person, you know what that is? That's stuck. That's called stuck. You ever felt that way? Have you ever woke up in the morning and thought, oh, Hamilton, flip. In the wrong place, right? Of course, you wouldn't feel that way about Hamilton. It's awesome, right? Hamilton's awesome. But if you lived in Tokoroa, whoo, flip. Okay, fine. Gore. It's gore. Gore's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go south. Gore. Been to all these places. It's awesome, right? So you wake up, you're like, man, I live in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you look over and you're like, I'm married to the wrong person. You ever woke up at like 5 a.m. Just, just before your spouse does, you know, they're over there and you sort of look at them for a second and they're all asleep and the mouth's open. Uh, and, then, and they turn over at just the right time and just the right angle and they blow their morning breath all over you, you know? And you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, till death do us part, right? Right? This is stuck. Now, here's the problem with the book of Ruth. If you've heard me speak at all, you know that oftentimes there's a story underneath the story that makes the story make more sense. There's oftentimes a history. If you were here this morning, how many of you are here this morning, right? How many of you found the history of Bethesda made that story better? A lot better. There's a lot of times the history underneath that makes it better. And here's the thing. There's a history underneath this story. Here's the problem. When you know the history, it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. The Moabites were very hated. Here's why. This is so important to the Jews that you know this. The writer of the book of Numbers dedicated five chapters to talking about why the Moabites are horrible. Five. So this takes up five chapters. Now, for the sake of time and relevance, we're not going to read five chapters of the Bible. I'll tell the story. I'll tell it well. And then I'll show you little snippets. The reason the Moabites are hated is because the first encounter that the Israelites had with the Moabites had to do with a Moabite king named Balak. And Balak has three choices. Choice number one was to welcome the Israelites. He did not. Choice number two was to attack the Israelites. He didn't do that either because they outnumbered him. So he chooses choice number three. 
Choice number three was he hired a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon named Balaam to come put a curse on the people. The idea was evidently Balaam was a successful witch doctor who when he cursed people, they stayed cursed. So what he did is he hired this Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon to put a curse on the Israelites. The problem was is when he tried to curse them, nothing come out of his mouth except a blessing. He does this three separate times. He goes to curse the people and nothing comes out of his mouth except a blessing. This ticks Balak off because Balak paid for a good cursing. And now, not only are these people not cursed, they're actually blessed. Real problem. He has to do something else. That's the basics of the story in 60 seconds. I thought that was pretty good. Five chapters of the Bible in 60 seconds. Let me read you some um, uh, portions of this. This is Numbers, I think it's 21. It says, Balak said, a people have come out of Egypt. Notice, he doesn't even know their names. He hasn't checked on them at all. He has no idea what they're about. A people come out of Egypt, they cover the face of the land, have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. This is, evidently Balaam was very, very popular in this department. Uh, So the elders of Moab and Midian, there's Moab, left taking with them the fee for divination. So they take a fee to pay Balaam to divinate. Balaam is happy to do that. That's his job. And he shows up to curse the people. When he goes to curse them, nothing comes out of his mouth except a blessing. Right? So this was a real problem. Watch what happens. This is the next chapter. So Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing but bless them. And he answered, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Now, let's be clear about this. When Balaam says, I've inquired of the Lord, and he put a blessing in my mouth, who is Balaam talking about? He's talking about his God. He's never even heard of the Israelites. He's never heard of the Israelite God. He has no relationship with Jehovah at all. He is an Aramite worshiper of a God named Ramon. Here's what's happening in this story. Balaam is seeking the face of Ramon to conjure up a good cursing, and nothing is coming out of his mouth except a blessing. What's happening in this story is the living God of Israel is stepping over everything we've ever made up about who could be used by God and who can't be used by God. And the living God of Israel is filling the mouth of a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon and using him to prophesy blessing over his people. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules. That's why. Is God allowed to fill the mouth of a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon and use him to bless the people? I like that amount of excitement. That's really good. A foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper Ramon is being used by God to bless his people. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules we've created. That's why. This happens three times. Watch what happens. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as he had at other times. In other words, Balaam, who's a professional cursor, starts enjoying blessing people. And he chooses not to resort back to divination. The theological word for this is repentance. It's changing the way you think about something, right? Now watch what happens. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him and he spoke a message. So what's happening in this story is the living God of Israel is filling the mouth of a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon. Is God allowed to do that? But he's never asked Jesus in his heart. He's never been water baptized. He's never been through our foundations courses. 
our discipleship training. He's never went through some odd ritual with three older women shouting unintelligible things over the top of his head. Never that. Never is that Jesus at his heart. I didn't think that was that funny. I got to add that to it. That's pretty good. That, that got a pretty good reaction. Especially over here. This crowd over here is pretty lively. Never asked Jesus in his heart. Never been water baptized. Never went through our foundations courses. Never asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Never anything like that. But the spirit of the living God is filling a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon. And using him to bless his people. What's happening in this story is the living God of Israel is stepping over every single rule we've ever created about who can be used by God and who can't be used by God. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules. That's why. That is why. That is why. Be careful. If you read this whole story, there's even a talking donkey involved. <laughs> now, Balak's ticked off. Watch what Balak does. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. And he struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them now three times. Now leave it once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord's kept you from being rewarded. In other words, I want my money back. Your cursing stinks to high heaven. Now not only are these people not cursed, they're actually blessed. And that's a real problem. So Balak has to come up with another idea about how to get the Israelites. And here's what he does. Now listen, I'm looking around across the crowd and I see children in here. Okay? And because I see children in here, I'm going to change my language right now. But I need you adults to follow me, all right? <laughs> Balak needs these people cursed. So here's what he does. He throws an outdoor public festival of praise to the Baal of Peor. The Baal of Peor is a god of fertility who receives worship through public displays and participation of a certain fertility ritual. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad, right? <clears throat> All the adults got this, right? right? So it's a public outdoor display of this fertility ritual. Whatever the worst thing going on in Hamilton is tonight, it's Nickelodeon compared to this, okay? <laughs> Balak tells the Moabite women, your job in life is to seduce the Israelite men into participating in this ritual. And his idea was, is if they participate in this ritual and bow to our God, then their God will turn on them. That's the idea, right? Here's the thing. It works. This is the next chapter. While Israel was staying in Shittim. Now that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Because when you give in to Moabite fertility rituals, it can put your life in a world of... Now I'm not, I'm not so worried about that because I know they hear that word at home. All right? while, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifice of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. This story ends tragically. Everybody's ticked off. Moses is ticked off. Balak's ticked off. Balaam's ticked off. There's a donkey somewhere ticked off. God's ticked off. Everybody's ticked off. 
And everybody starts overreacting, especially Moses. Moses was given to overreactions. Moses premeditated murdered a guy. Moses struck rocks instead of speaking to them. Moses was not a perfect person. Moses was a flawed person. And thank God, God doesn't use perfect people. God uses flawed people because he's using all of us. Right? Moses completely loses the plot and overreacts. Here's the problem. He wrote his overreaction down. Here's the problem. Where might Moses have written his reaction down? In the Bible. Watch this. This is Moses' response to the entire incident with Baals and fertility rituals. Watch what he says. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. God does not accept Moabites. I don't care if we get 10 generations from now. All of their descendants and all of them will never be welcomed by God. Ever, ever, ever. I don't care if it gets 10 generations from now. God doesn't get over this. Now, is that true? No way. No way that's true. But it's in the Bible. My Bible says... Do y'all not believe the Bible around here? My Bible's very clear. No Moabites accepted by God. And what's the problem with that? It's not true. In case you're not following, Ruth's a Moabite. Which means David is a Moabite. Which means Jesus is a Moabite. No Moabite will ever be accepted by God. My Bible says, put it on the pamphlets, the websites, and the fundamental truths. Be careful using the Bible like that. Sometimes the Bible is telling you what God said. Sometimes the Bible is just telling you what happened. It's just reporting a story. This is what happened. Is it true that God doesn't accept Moabites? Of course not. Jesus is one 30-second Moabite. There's a reason you throw up in your mouth a little when you hear a Christian use a Bible like that. Like taking one verse and making it a rule for everything. Be careful using the Bible like that. It wasn't intended to be used like that. Now, so if no Moabite is accepted by God. And by the way, Moses makes sure you remember the story. But they didn't come out to meet you with bread and water on your way out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, the son of Beor from Pithor and Aaron to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loves you more than the rules. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Hang on a second. So if it's against the law to be friends with Moabites, would it be against the law to marry them? Can you see where there's some tension building for Ruth? Now, with that as the historical backdrop, let's see if that helps us with Ruth. Watch what happens. We're going back to the book of Ruth now. Watch this. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. Make sure you're paying attention. Judah is in Israel, right? And what law is Judah under? Deuteronomy 23. And what does Deuteronomy 23 say about Moabites? 
They're not welcome. This is a problem. Watch what happens. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you showed kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Do you see how the whole point is? We got to get you a husband. And there's no husbands for you in Israel because Moabites aren't welcome. And it had to do with something years ago that you had nothing to do with. And it's unfortunate, but it got written in scripture that you're not welcome. And because it's written in scripture, you're not welcome. You're not welcome. You can't even be friends with you people, much less you marry anybody. Your best hope to find a husband is to go back to Moab because Moabite men will marry Moabite women. Israelite men will have nothing to do with Moabite women because of the whole thing that happened in Numbers 20. It just doesn't happen. It's in the Bible. The Bible tells me so. We don't accept Moabites because the Bible tells us not to accept Moabites. You can see how this is a problem, right? Now watch what happens. At this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. What is wrong with Naomi? Like, is she the worst evangelist ever? Going back to your gods. Why would she say that? Because in her world, Scripture said that God doesn't accept Moabites. Who's a Moabite? Ruth. And if God doesn't accept Moabites, she needs to go back to her gods. In that world, Moabite gods care about Moabites. Israelite God care about Israelites. That's how it worked. Watch what Ruth does. This is what she's famous for. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Ruth, are you not paying attention? You have a Moabite nose and a Moabite accent. We can't really take you back to Israel because the Bible says Moabites are forbidden by God. And I know you want our God to be your God, but our God's not interested in being your God because here's the problem. The Bible says that our God's not interested in being your God. And then the Bible says something, you can't go changing that because that would be awful, right? And I know it wasn't your fault, and I know you had nothing to do with it. It was the whole thing about the Shittim incident. You can't, have, you can't help it. You had nothing to do with it, but you have a Moabite nose and a Moabite accent, and unfortunately, Scripture forbids your very presence. So we can't have you coming back to Israel. You're not, I know you want our God to be your God, but our God's not interested in being your God because our God doesn't accept Moabites. The Bible tells me so. Now I'm going to stop and talk very slowly. Follow me here. Ruth steps into Bethlehem. All it would have taken is one literalist Bible thumper drawing a line in the sand and saying, hang on, Moabite nose, Moabite accent. The Bible clearly says that she's not welcome out. If he would have done that, would he have been right according to Scripture at that time? But if he'd have done that, who would have never been born? David. And then who would have never been born? Jesus. So sometimes the people defending the Bible the most vehemently are the very people keeping God from doing stuff. Be very careful using the Bible like that. And let me stop for a second. And if you tune me out, tune me back in. If you are a Pharisee, there is nothing I'll ever be able to say to change that. Only God can change that. 
But if you are a good-hearted person, good-hearted people will often find that as much as they love the Bible, and I don't think anybody in this room loves the Bible more than me. I love it. I've given my life to studying it. I've given my life to communicating it. But sometimes the Bible puts us unnecessarily at odds with people we're trying to reach. And here's how that tension goes with good people. I'm called to love them. But the Bible forbids something about them. Does that make sense? The Bible at that time forbidden Ruth because she was a Moabite. But inside Boaz's heart, he knew we're called to love her, yet the Bible forbidden her. Is this making sense? So sometimes as a church, good people struggle with the tension of we're called to love them, but the Bible forbids something about them. And we don't know how to handle that. If I could give you an answer to that. Can any of you think of a group of people who feel unnecessarily... Well, let's say it this way. Can any of you think of a group of people who don't necessarily feel welcome in our churches because the Bible forbids something about their lifestyle choice? Anybody think of anybody like that, right? Anybody think of an entire subgroup of people in our culture who feel less than welcome in our churches because the Bible forbids their lifestyle choice? Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? And of course, who am I talking about? I'm talking about the gluttons, okay? The unrepentant overeaters. Because the Bible strictly forbids unrepentant overeating 25 times more than it does homosexuality. So, what should this church do if a busload of unrepentant overeaters showed up here next Sunday? What should you do? Should you say, hello, unrepentant overeaters, how is it? Come on in. We love you here so long as you know exactly where we stand on what the Bible says about your lifestyle choice. You would never do that. And the reason is you shouldn't do that. The way you should treat unrepentant overeaters is this. Hi, welcome. We love you here. And anything that needs to change in your life, we believe that the presence of God and the word of God is powerful enough to convict you and move you. And we're going to leave all the convicting and all the changing to God. You're so welcome here. We're going to expose you to the presence of God. You can, you can belong here. We're going to expose you to the presence of God. And here's what we believe. We believe that God's presence is powerful enough to move you wherever God wants you to be. So please, Come on in and be exposed to the presence of God. So let this place be the place where all unrepentant overeaters are welcome. Here's the thing. This is so critical. If your goal is to be right about the Bible, then we shouldn't be here today because Ruth should have been thrown out. If your goal is to be right about the Bible, that's one thing. But that shouldn't be our goal. Our goal should be to fulfill Scripture. And to fulfill Scripture is simply this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you could do something far more dynamic and inspirational than being right about something. You could do something called fulfill Scripture. And that was Jesus' message in one sentence, that God loves people more than the rules. They bring him someone caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says to do what to her? 
Stoner. Does he stoner? No, because Jesus was more interested in fulfilling Scripture than in being right about it. And to fulfill Scripture, well, what do you do? You treat her how you would want to be treated. If you were caught in adultery, what would you want to be, how would you want to be treated? You'd want to be left off the hook, and you'd want to be challenged to change your life. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus broke the rules all the time. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules. And if you're confused about Jesus at all, and you need a one-sentence summary of the message of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ is that God loves you more than the rules. God loves you more than the rules. God, Jesus is more interested in us fulfilling Scripture than he ever is in us being right about it. Because if all you want to do is be right about Scripture, the next time someone tells you they committed adultery, get your stones out. The next time someone tells you they didn't take Saturday off, get your stones out. The next time someone shows up with a shirt made of mixed cloths, throw them out. The next time a busload of unrepentant overeaters shows up here, you better be ready to get rid of them. But we all know that's not the truth. And I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down because I'm putting it down pretty thick. If the church is going to move to where it needs to be in the next generation, we have to become people who fulfill Scripture and not simply be right about it. Now, that leads me to these observations. One question the book of Ruth is asking is, am I stuck with my lot in life or can I be empowered by a better choice? No one had any more excuses than Ruth. Ruth had every excuse at her disposal to not move forward and give up on life. No one had more excuses than her. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong race, wrong gender, wrong husband. Even the Bible says I'm not welcome. That is every excuse under the sun. Nobody has ever been that stuck. That's stuck. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong husband, wrong race, wrong gender. Even the Bible says I'm not welcome. That is stuck. What's been your excuse? She chooses to change her life. How? She chooses to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of a list of rules. If you want to unstick your life individually and systemically. We have to choose to be people who believe with all of our heart that God loves people more than the rules and to be people who fulfill Scripture and not simply just be right about it. The fulfillment of Scripture is this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for that is the fulfillment of Scripture. Let's say it this way. At the end of the story, God uses Ruth as a part of a lineage that brings salvation to the whole world. I don't want to, make, I don't want to assume you know something you don't know. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. King David is the 14-time great-grandfather of Jesus Christ. In other words, if Ruth steps into Bethlehem and a Bible-thumping literalist throws her out because the Bible says so, Jesus is never born. And if Jesus is never born, we are not here. It was because of her bravery to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of the list of rules that unstuck her life. But it didn't just unstick her life. It unstuck all of us. Let's say it this way. You never know where taking the one next step changes everything for everyone. Ruth stepped into Israel to change her life and did it. Yes, but it also changed your life. This story ends very, very well. Ruth ends up. Naomi says, hey, Ruth, see that guy over there? He's really wealthy. <laughs> hey, here's what you do. Wait till the middle of the night when he's drunk and crawl under the covers with him and uncover his feet. <laughs> Kinky. Woo. Ooh, Boaz, nice toes, right? There's all kinds of stuff going on here. Ruth is very, very proactive, and it changes her life, but it also changes everything for everyone. So a couple, a couple of observations here. What's been your excuse? 
This is an individual application. What's been your excuse? Why do you feel stuck? Oh, Shane, it's my background, man. You understand? It's my DNA. It's my place of birth. Of course, if you were born in New Zealand, shut up. Like, if you can't make it here, where are you going to go, man? It's not my personality, Shane. I've got this diagnosis. I'm supposed to act depressed because they tell me I am. The problem is the only reason, they, the only way they know you're depressed is you walked in their office and told them you were depressed. Believing the wrong story. Too many obstacles. People won't approve. How many excuses can we possibly think of? They've already booked me to come in next year, right? Don't let me come back here next year and you're in the same place if you don't like where you are. Honestly, Shane, you feel stuck. You're not stuck. You live in a free nation. One of the greatest top five nations on the earth to live in. You are not stuck. No way. No way, but certain things will stick your life. Things like excuses. It'll stick your life. If all you think of is the reasons you can't, it'll stick your life. i tell you what else will stick your life. Living with other people's expectations in mind. I love this quote by Thomas Merton. Here's what he said. How can you expect to arrive at your destination if you're on the road to another man's city? <laughs> I love that. In other words, how can you ever expect to be where you need to be if all you consider is where other people want you to be? Now, let me be clear. If you never consider what other people are thinking, that makes you a psychopath. But if you only consider what other people are thinking, that'll stick your life. Waiting for other people's approval is an endless prison. That'll stick your life. Or believing the wrong story, that'll stick your life. Here's the problem. For Ruth, the wrong story was in Deuteronomy 23. She had to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of the list of rules. What a brave, brave move. My goodness, what a brave move. What a brave move. Uh, unforgiveness and bitterness. No one had more reason to be unforgiving and bitter towards life than Ruth. No one had more of a reason to shake her fist at the sky and say, really? Wrong place? Wrong time? Wrong gender? Wrong husband? Wrong race? Even the scriptures forbid me? Nobody had more of a reason to be bitter at life than her. But she changed that with one decision. She chose to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of a list of rules. And that unsticks your life. You want to unstick your life spiritually? You put your faith in the character of a loving God instead of a list of rules. And you choose to be people who fulfill scripture and not simply want to be right about it. Because the fulfillment of Scripture is dynamic and moving and inspirational and with new infinite possibilities every single day. Every single day. Which leads me to a few questions that I want us to wrestle with before we go. Of the sticky things, which is your biggest hurdle? Is it excuses? Other people's expectations? Unforgiveness and bitterness? Believing the wrong story? What is your sticky thing. Let's say it this way. What is your one next step to Bethlehem? And are you willing to take that step without any guarantee of where it might lead? Try to focus this way. I know. Ready? Right here. Listen, to unstick your life requires three moves. One, Put your faith in the character of a loving God instead of the list of rules. Two, fulfill scripture and not just be right about them. But three, 
You have to wake up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for your life. And you take your one next step to Bethlehem. But I don't know what step three is. Doesn't matter. Take your one next step. So what is your one next step? What's the one next right thing you know to do? Maybe your next one right thing is spiritual. Maybe tonight you need to trust Jesus Christ's version of your life story instead of the one you've written on your own. Maybe you're a good person, but you know what? You've sort of written your own life story, and tonight is the night you can feel God moving at your heart. That You need to say, you know what? I, 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 Jesus, I'm surrendering to you, and here's why. I believe that whatever version of my life story that you've written is going to be better than the one I'm writing on my own, and I'm going to trust you with my life. Maybe that's your move. Maybe your next move is spiritual in this sense. Maybe you've been sitting on your butt waiting to go to heaven when you die, when there's a load of infinite possibilities that you could be involved in around here to bring heaven here. Maybe your next one move is writing an email or a text or a phone call to one of your pastors and, and saying something like this, I don't know where I fit, but if you'll help me find my place, I want to give my life to something bigger than me. I want to be a part and participate with what God is doing here at this church in Hamilton. Maybe you can join the music team. Maybe you're good at sound stuff and lights and knob turning and all the stuff they do back there. But maybe you're great at being friendly and kind. Maybe you can make a killer coffee. Maybe you're great with children and you're a blue card holding, safe, checked out person that can work with children, right? And maybe that's you. Maybe you hate children. If you hate children, you should stay away from the children. You should come and do something else, right? Maybe, maybe you could work with youth and be a part of molding the next generation. Are you kidding me? There's infinite things we can do. Maybe we could be a part of global mandates to make life better for other people. There's infinite things you can do. What's your next move? Maybe. Excuse me. Maybe your next one step, listen, I don't think I've ever used this word in this church in my life, but I'm going to use it now. I feel like this might be a prophetic word for somebody, okay? And let me tell you how you're going to know. When I say it, if your heart leaps with life, I'm talking to you. If it doesn't, forget about it. I, do never, I never want to manipulate what God's saying. I only want to cooperate with him. Listen, maybe your next one move is vocational. Start your business. Shane, I just feel stuck in my job. I feel stuck in my job. I hate my job. I feel stuck in my job. You're not stuck. This is New Zealand. This is not a class system. If you hate your job, start your business. What's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, you get to go back to the job you hate. If the worst thing that could possibly happen is already happening, it's nowhere but up from there. Start the business. Maybe your next move's relational. Tell them how you feel. And be normal. <laughs> Don't have your left eye twitch when you do it. Don't say God said. <laughs> I'm 41. I travel the world. I'm single. Sometimes women take that as a cue that God wants us to be together. And when they say it that way, whoa, they'll come to, I'm serious. Some people come to my table. They're like, Shane, 
I think God wants us to be together. That invokes an immediate visceral retreat. Like, if you're going to tell someone how you feel, be flipping normal. <laughs> tell them in such a way that if it's not exactly right, you could still be friends and then maybe one day. What's the worst that could possibly happen? They throw up in their mouth a little? <laughs> you tell her how you feel and, you're, and she's like, <clears throat> <clears throat> Well, if she does that, at least you know. Maybe, maybe your next one move is an email, a text, a phone call, or coffee that says this. I forgive you. Uh, Ex-business partner, I forgive you. We're not going to do that again, by the way, but... I forgive you. Uh, Dad, I forgive you. Mom, I forgive you. Ex-husband, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but I forgive you. I absolutely forgive you. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. Ex-wife, <laughs> no way. <laughs> but I forgive you. I don't know what your next one move is. Maybe it's spiritual, vocational, relational, whatever the, your next one move is. Whatever it is, here's how you unstick your life. You choose to believe God loves people more than the rules. You choose to be a group of people who individually and systemically choose to be people who fulfill Scripture and not just simply be right about it. The first question we should ask if a busload of gluttons show up is, how would I want to be treated if I were them? And then you can fulfill Scripture, which is far more dynamic than being right about it. But if you really want to unstick your life, you've got to add number three. Number three is wake up every day saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for your life and do the one next thing you know to do. Take your one next step to Bethlehem. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We proclaim you're king and there's none like you. Why don't you right there where you're sitting, why don't you um, pray this prayer underneath your breath. Holy Spirit, give me the courage to see things different. The irresistible urge to respond to what I see. Lord Jesus, would you speak to me now about my one next step? What is my one next step? Just give it a second. Whatever God drops in your heart, I'm going to ask God to give you the courage to act on that this week. Before, before it leaves you, send the email. Send the text. Make the phone call. How can I be involved? What can I do? I forgive you. This is how I feel. Whatever it might be, take your one next step. Lord, I pray grace over this church. Let this place be a dwelling place for your name. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, God. As a church, just collectively right now under your breath, I want you to pray a prayer like this, only if you mean it. Lord, we want to be people who fulfill Scripture and not simply be right about them. Lord, let us give us the courage to be people who fulfill Scripture, who treat others as we would want to be treated. Give us, the, give us the grace to be people who fulfill Scripture and not just simply be right about it. Unstick us in every area, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you look this way? 
Thanks so much for letting me be part of your life. I really enjoyed tonight. Thank you so much for how much energy you gave back. Thank you, this section, for laughing at all my jokes. Brilliant. It was really, really good. You made me feel like Chris Rock up here tonight. It was very, very good. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really love you. I love all my friends here. I, I think you have great leadership. That you have a great church. Uh, we've already booked it in for next year. I'd love to be back with you, and I can't wait. Um, I, hope, I hope that you're really blessed by today. I hope, you, I hope you realize that there's blood in the water. There's hope for your suffering. May you be people who confront oppression everywhere you see it. May we be people who act bravely and take our next step. May we be people who never, never, ever, ever simply strive to be right about the Bible. May we always be people who take the next step and be people who fulfill Scripture. May we be known in our community as people who treat others as we would want to be treated and take our one next step to Bethlehem. Until I see you again next time, grace and peace, everybody. God bless. Thank you, Shane. Plenty there to think about. <laughs> Very good. Hey, um... Host, could you ready yourselves, please? I want to receive an offering for Shane as we finish tonight. He lives by faith. That's what he does. And uh, we've really received from him this weekend. And we want to say a very generous thank you to him as he leaves. So if you're able, that would be wonderful to sign to the offering now for him. Thank you so much. Let me talk to you for a moment about next Sunday night. Next Sunday night, we have a, a lady, Jessica Harris, with us. Jessica Harris is also from America. She is the author of a book called Beggar's Daughter. And next Sunday night, uh, Jessica Harris, she has an incredible um, testimony about how she was really caught in addiction um, with pornography and how she was set free of that. And she, she travels the world now uh, giving parents tools to keep their kids safe and helping people break away from stuff like that. It's going to be an amazing night. In the afternoon at 3 p.m., uh, I think it's 3 p.m., it'll be on the web. 3, 3 p.m., she's doing a parents' workshop here, and she'll be uh, equipping parents with tools on how to keep your kids safe uh, in today's technology world. It'll be very, very good. Cost you five bucks, best five bucks you've ever spent. Um, so, so come to that. But she'll be here next Sunday night. So why don't you bring some friends? Did you know statistically 67% of people are struggling with this issue? It's no longer a guy. It used to be regarded as a guy's issue, pornography. It's no longer regarded a guy's issue. It's regarded as a people's issue. And a high percentage of people are struggling with it. I think next Sunday night, you would do some of your friends the greatest favour if you brought them along and put them into a... Um, into an environment that we can talk about that openly and uh, be equipped with that without any sense of judgment. I think that would be a really good night. Sound right? Great. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this weekend. I thank you that you're doing something. I thank you that you are moving us bit by bit by bit toward your character. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would keep moving us, that you would keep uh, moving us forward a step at a time. Uh, Father, fill us with courage so that wherever we are and whenever we're there this week, we can be like Jesus. And if we make a mess of us, give us the courage to stand up and go again. Father, bless your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night. I think the, are the youth doing anything? Youth are at Macca's, Rotatuna. Young adults doing anything? Oh, you've been away all weekend. You're probably not. No, you guys are going home to sleep. Fantastic. Have a great week.